Well, we've solved it. Kyle Shanahan admitted it. He said it. Transcript doesn't reflect smiling. I tell him everything. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio here with you for the course of the next hour. Plenty of news today, thanks in large part to the fact that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch spoke to the media today about the trade that will put the 49ers in position clearly to draft a quarterback. That's one big takeaway. We're going to listen to what they had to say, Miles. But it's obvious, beyond obvious, they moved up to number three to get a quarterback. If there was any doubt, there shall be no doubt. They're up at number three to get a quarterback. They admitted it plainly uh, today in that press conference that that is what they traded up to number three overall in order to do. They wanted to draft a quarterback. They want to get somebody who can lead their franchise for the next however many years. And as much as they keep trying to compliment Jimmy Garoppolo and say, we believe in Jimmy and all these nice things, obviously they feel like they have to upgrade at the position Otherwise, you don't do what you did. And that was obvious from the moment that the trade was reported. But I, I, you know, I don't know how much credit we want to give them for admitting that before the pick is in. But they did do it today. So, yes, it is now very clear what they have done and why they've done it. There's no downside in admitting it. They don't move up to number three if they're not perfectly happy with whoever is left after Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson come off the board. And if for some reason, some reason. There's a team out there that must have Mac Jones. And the Jets are willing to give up Zach Wilson and get whatever else they're offered so someone else can get Mac Jones. 49ers take Zach Wilson. No skin off their butts. I mean, that's so they're in position to get Lawrence Wilson or if it's Jones, whoever it is that they moved up there for. They're going to get one of those three guys, and that's fine with them. They're willing to invest three first round picks and a third round pick for that player. Let's hear from Shanahan and Lynch earlier today regarding the trade and regarding the supposed franchise quarterback who at some point will no longer be on the team. You know, we both spoke to to, uh, to Jimmy. Kyle Kyle did right away, and then I did later in the day. Um, you know, I think, um, I think the I'll, I'll let Kyle go after this, but uh, you know, the, the message was what we were doing, why we were doing it, and how he is very much still a, plan, a part of our plans. And, uh, you know, um, I'm not, not going to, um, you know, I believe those conversations uh, should remain private, but, but uh, Jimmy, uh, he welcomes competition. And so I think I'll leave it at that. And Kyle, you go ahead. Um, yeah, very similar. Um, you know, wanted to get it to Jimmy definitely before it came out. So, um, Called him first thing, had a good conversation with him. You know, it's obviously no one wants to hear that. Um, you know, I know that he wasn't totally excited about it like you'd expect, but um, Jimmy handled it great like he always does. Um, we were very straight up with each other, and I told him how he felt. This doesn't mean – this doesn't change his, any of his circumstances right now. I mean, he's still coming in here trying to lead this team. I told him how excited I was. That free agency went a lot better than we anticipated with being able to sign um, a lot more of our own players than we had thought going into it. And that we got a real good team coming back here. And uh, we still plan on him leading us and getting as far as we can with him. Plan on. We plan on. He's still part of the plans. John Lynch tried to hold it together, but he was sliding off of the horse and got Kyle to come in and save him. I'm sorry. I, I, I am a student of demeanor of word patterns, of body language, everything. John Lynch was trying his damnedest to sell us something that they're incapable of selling themselves. Nobody came out and said, he's our starter this year. All these people in the media, he's our guy. They're our guy. He's our guy. Anonymous source tells Shefty on Friday, he's still our guy. Did either of them speak with that kind of unequivocal zeal? about Jimmy Garoppolo today? Hell no, Miles. Hell no. He's still in the plans. And you know what the plan is? To try to get some idiot to trade for him. Well, he basically they said he's still in the plans for this offseason. And I don't know if it was exactly in that clip, but at some point in that press conference, it's literally what they said, the offseason. And in that clip, I think Kyle Shanahan used the infamous words right now. So this is something that we're going to obviously see happen over the course of whether it's before the draft, during the draft, after the draft, um, and maybe right before the season after training camp. At some point, I think they are anticipating that Jimmy Garoppolo will not be on this team for the rest of the 2021 season. It it just, it it would be, it basically became inevitable from the moment that they executed that trade and said, we're going up to number three to select the quarterback 
they have then basically decided that Jimmy Garoppolo is more likely than not, not going to be on the team anymore at some point before the regular season or maybe during the regular season. But I think it should be before the regular season because they're on the hook for a $25 million salary and it's gonna cost them less than $3 million in dead cap if they just straight up release him. So to me, there's not much there's not much sense in keeping Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster throughout the entire regular season when that's the kind of math that it is. And also, you're 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 doing this because at some point you don't necessarily believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback of the future. Otherwise, you wouldn't trade up and give up all that draft capital to get up to number three in the first place, Mike. Yeah, that's the one thing that I can't get away from. And I try to keep things as simple as possible because anything more than that hurts my brain. You give up three first-round picks and a third-round pick. In an offseason when there's been all this discussion about three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson, three first-round picks for Russell Wilson, you're not investing three ones and a three for someone who's going to have his ass planted on the bench for multiple years or even for one year. I said this today on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. It's like when you get a new toy for Christmas. You get a remote-control car. What do you want to do, Miles, as soon as you get the remote control car. Do you want to keep it in the box for a year? Or do you want to take that damn thing outside and use it? And you're impatient. I'm speaking from experience. You're impatient while the damn battery charges. Can the battery charge faster? Oh, it's snowy and it's icy out. I might ruin the car. I don't care. I'm playing with this damn car. I wanted it. I got it. And I'm using it. And that's the mentality. You don't make that investment for a guy that isn't part of your plans right now. It's one of the reasons why Sims is convinced Mac Jones is the guy because he's the most game ready. And you wouldn't give up three ones and a three for a guy that you have to develop quietly behind the scenes. You just don't do it. You get somebody else. You stick with Jimmy G. You trade for Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I, not that not that Russell Wilson would be traded by the Seahawks to the 49ers, but it's not unprecedented. Donovan McNabb was traded in the division. Drew Bledsoe was traded in the division. It's not It's not a, a, a rule. It's not a, a commandment that thou shalt not trade a quarterback within the division. So you want somebody to make an impact now. And it's Mac Jones, I believe, and he's starting this year, and the rest of it is just details. Don't give me this stuff that he's playing in 2021. And, Miles, I don't know that I want him to at this point. I, I, It's too weird right now. You're going to bring in this guy who's going to suck all the oxygen out of the room, right? You got to make him the guy. You've already told the world, this is the guy. This is the future of the franchise. This is the savior of the Super Bowl potential winning 49ers. You can't bring him in and just put him in a closet and slam the door and say, well, we'll bring him out next year. It just doesn't work that way. I think the other part of this, it kind of just reminds me of what happened with the Eagles in 16 when they drafted Carson Wentz. And they had Sam Bradford, and they talked about Sam Bradford being the starter and all that for a really long time. And then I believe it was Labor Day weekend when they finally traded him to Minnesota. And then from there on, it's like, boom. Yeah, Carson Wentz is the guy. Carson Wentz has beaten out Sam Bradford. Carson Wentz has shown all of these great things in training camp, and we just believe in Carson Wentz. And obviously, five years later, it's a totally different story. But at the time, that's really what they did. I almost feel like the 49ers are trying to run that playbook basically say yes we have Jimmy Garoppolo we like Jimmy Garoppolo we think we can still win Jimmy Garoppolo is still going to give us the best chance to win and then they're hoping that at the end of August maybe there's going to be some team that's got a really terrible quarterback situation and they are going to want to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo and then they're going to give up a premium draft pick for it that to me sounds like what's happening right now because you can't convince me that they really, really believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the starting quarterback for this team throughout the entire 2021 season. That's not what happens when you trade up to draft a guy believing that he is going to be your franchise quarterback. Miles, excellent point. And the NFL is a deadline-driven business. As far as the 49ers are concerned with Jimmy Garoppolo, as long as they're content to have the $25 million cap charge arising from his compensation this year on the books, the deadline is... The weekend, the regular season begins. That's when, as a practical matter, the base salary of a vested veteran becomes fully guaranteed. What happens is if you've got four or more years of service and you're on the roster, active roster week one, and 
you get cut at any point after that, you can take the balance of your pay unreduced by anything you earn elsewhere as termination pay. You have one time in your career you can do it. With $25 million in play, Jimmy Garoppolo would do it. That's when the 49ers need to make the decision to, I think, as you said not that long ago, poo or get off the pot. So that gives them months, months to hold on to Jimmy Garoppolo and see what happens. And, yeah, look, Teddy Bridgewater, catastrophic knee injury, late August 2016, one in a four falls out of the sky, manna from heaven, into the Eagles' clutches for a guy that they otherwise would have benched at some point during the 2016 season for Carson Wentz if Wentz didn't start week one. So there's no rush, none whatsoever, unless... And, and see, th- this is why it's like the Trent Brown situation with the Raiders and the Patriots. Because I was surprised when Trent Brown agreed to take less money and the Patriots traded for him. Because if you're Trent Brown, you say to the Raiders, I'm not reducing my pay. I'm not. Cut me. And they say, fine, we'll cut you when we feel like it. And so the 49ers can hold on to Jimmy G until Labor Day weekend. Or someone can work out a deal where they give the 49ers something and Jimmy G takes less money. And they do the trade now. And they just sit back and wait for that. But no one's paying this guy $25 million this year. It's not happening, folks. $25 million in an environment with a reduced cap for a guy who's missed 23 games over the last three years. It would be idiocy for the 49ers to pay him $25 million. So I think we're on the same page. I think that, if anything, today made me feel even more strongly that there's no way Garoppolo is going to be on that roster week one unless he agrees to a significant pay cut and potentially isn't the starter to begin the season. Or if he starts the season, he's going to be supplanted not long after that. Let's hear Kyle Shanahan talking about attending Alabama Pro Day 2. They had Pro Day 1 last week. Mac Jones threw. He's throwing again tomorrow, and Shanahan's going to be there. Here's what he said. I normally don't like to go to them a bunch um, unless I feel I need I have to, unless I have to for some reason. But um, I also have been kind of grown up in the idea that you, you don't like to go everywhere and show people things. And when you're sitting at 12 and stuff, I don't want to go to a bunch of quarterback pro days and things like that. Um, now that you move up to three, you don't have to hide as much. Um, it's not as big of a deal to me as it might have been when we were sitting at 12. Remember, this is the guy who's dad drafted Jay Cutler in 2006 and had never done anything to create any impression that he was in any way interested in Jay Cutler. No visits, no interviews, no meetings. It was out of the blue. And I think the Broncos traded up with the Rams, if I'm correct. And there is a very strong chance I'm not. But that's the skullduggery that you have to engage in prior to the draft. Because anything you do... Anything you say will be used against you in this competitive environment of people getting the guys they want. So now that they hold the third pick, because somebody made the argument, oh, him, oh, this is a smokescreen. He really wants Zach Wilson. No, what, what, no, no. Or he really wants Justin Fields. No, no one can get them. And if the only way they're going to get Fields or Jones is to get in front of you, and that means you're going to get Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson. It's a no-lose proposition. They don't have to be coy about anything at this point, Miles. Exactly, and that's why when they were talking about it in this press conference today, they said that there are three guys that they feel comfortable with, and by going up to three, they have guaranteed themselves one of those three guys. And so that's why it really doesn't matter. You don't have to have the smoke screen like you're saying, Mike. You can do whatever it is that you want to do to feel as comfortable as you possibly can about whoever you're going to select to be this franchise quarterback for the next however many years. And I think that that's important, especially in a year like this, where Kyle Shanahan talked about this. You cannot go and really have a private workout with a guy as you normally would. You can't go and sit down and have dinner with a guy as you normally would. So instead, you see things like what Urban Meyer did um, down there at Clemson during that, when they, uh, he had that pro day for Trevor Lawrence, right? You know, he was just standing there so close to him so he could hear the hum of the ball coming out of his hand and all that noise. So I think when you are able to then just say, yes, we're going down there because we're interested in taking a QB and it could certainly be Mac Jones, then you're just basically, you're, you're taking away all the mystery to it because you know that you can and it doesn't matter. And I like we were saying last Friday, I think it was, if the Jets don't want Zach Wilson, then 
I, I don't really know what's going on because it just seems like that somebody is going to have to pry that pick from their cold, dead hands. So, and I don't think that Urban Meyer would even ever come to Jacksonville if there wasn't a chance of them drafting Trevor Lawrence. So they basically know what the first two picks are going to be. If something happens, they're still comfortable with whoever is going to be left to them at number three overall. Hey, Miles, I suggested earlier today on PFT Live, and they put up the conspiracy Mike graphic when I said this, but I don't think it's oh, much boy. of a conspiracy. The idea that Urban Meyer deliberately didn't go to Zach Wilson's pro day because he does not want any doubt creeping in. He's all in on Trevor Lawrence. And if he would have stood there, mask on, nose out, watching and listening to the ball come out of Zach Wilson's hand, the way he was moving left to left to or right to left and throwing back across his body, maybe he would have started thinking, are we sure that this is the right thing for us to do? And there it is. Let me just say this. They show that graphic within the past couple of weeks, Miles, and I got an email from one of our viewers in the UK who said, I didn't know you smoked cigarettes, okay? (laughs) That's either somebody who knows nothing about American pop culture or an excellent job with the Photoshop. I do not wear short-sleeved dress shirts, so that's your ultimate proof, nor do I smoke cigarettes. Cigars, once or twice a week, yes. Cigarettes, no. Um, I was right, by the way. Somehow, some way, the Broncos, 2006, they had pick number 15. They packaged 15 and 68 to the then St. Louis Rams to move up to 11 to get Jay Cutler and stunned everyone. That was Mike Shanahan, Kyle learning from his dad how to be secretive, and you don't need to be secretive now. And here he is. You mentioned some of the things about the Mike Jones dynamic with Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan from earlier today talking about the former Alabama quarterback. The way we looked at it is, I mean, to move up to three, we had to feel good that there's three guys we'd be comfortable with leading our team for a long time. And we couldn't make that decision before there was three guys. Um, so we had to feel that way with three. Um, now I think there's a chance to get there with four and five. There's a chance. Um, there's five guys that are kind of at this party a little bit. And um, people are talking about them going everywhere. They're all over in the first round. Our feeling is these guys were going to go a lot higher than people realize. And when you have two guys sitting out one and two, possibly could, um, even possibly three and four, then you hear a lot of teams um, all the way through the draft who are in a situation where they really want a quarterback and they don't have someone close to what we have with Jimmy. Um, that means those five guys are going to disappear pretty fast. So we had to feel confident in three to make this move. Um, and that's what we did. And I do it. I'm excited about now. We know there's five players. Who do you want to put your um, Who do you want to put your future in? Well, I'm glad we got a month to really work on that. Boy, that that uh, well, look, I, I think part of it too. They all get the memo, officially or unofficially, not to disrupt the element of surprise. I think they know damn well who they want. At this point, it's just checking boxes, confirmation. Hey, look, anything can happen between now and a month from now. I don't want to throw out possibilities. I don't want to be accused of jinxing anyone. But anything could happen to make Mac Jones all of a sudden not attractive a month from now. There are a variety of things that could happen. Kitchen accidents can happen that would make Mac Jones, you know, not attractive. Nine fingers instead of ten, for example, makes Mac Jones not attractive, especially if one of the fingers missing is on his throwing hand. So you don't have to say anything, and the league doesn't want you to say anything until the pick comes in. But I think they know, Miles, who they want. They don't make this move without knowing who they want. They just don't want the right to say, well, we get the board after the first two picks are gone. They, they know who they want or they wouldn't have given up that much to get there. No doubt, and I'll give you an example. So I worked for the Rams in 2016 when they traded up to get Jared Goff. And at the time, everybody kept saying, oh, well, you know, it's this percentage or that percentage, or we're still going to be able to dive in here and really make a decision. They knew who they wanted when they made the trade. And you don't trade up to number one overall unless you know exactly who you want, okay? And in this particular case, because they probably have very good intel on who is going at number one and number two overall, the 49ers traded up to number three overall because they feel like their guy is going to be on the board and then they feel like they're going to be able to pick that guy. I think you could actually say the same thing about the Philadelphia Eagles in 2016. They had a pretty good feeling of who the Rams were going to take at number one overall so that's why they felt comfortable going up to number two overall with the Browns and then they selected Carson Wentz there's just 
it, there's just too much certainty in these situations that I feel like you have to have when you're trying to get a quarterback that is going to be basically your franchise savior, right? You, you cannot just do this thinking, well, if this or then maybe we can do blah, blah. No, you have to be pretty certain in order to do this. And that's why I really feel like these guys in the 49ers organization are extremely certain as to they're going to get their guy. I love Jeff Fisher, and I love the fact that he enjoyed every day, every hour, every minute, and every second of having the first pick and not telling anyone who it was going to be. And, you know, he'd grow that mustache just kind of over his mouth, and you'd see there'd be kind of a half smile hiding behind there. You really don't know what's going on behind that mustache. He loved it. He loved it. We all knew it was Jared Goff, but he loved it, and... I, look, I don't know this for a fact, but common sense tells me the league office hammers into the team that has the first overall pick in the draft. Do not, do not disclose what you're going to do because you've got two types of fans out there. You've got the people who pay attention to it all the time and know exactly what's going on because they're soaking up every bit of information. Those people know. For example, that Trevor Lawrence is going number one to the Jaguars. Then you got all these folks who are just kind of casual, who show up for big events like the Super Bowl and the draft. More show up for the Super Bowl, but there's a lot of them that show up for the draft. They don't know. They're not following. So if you say it and it becomes the above-the-fold headline on the sports page, if there are even sports pages anymore, and everybody knows about it, gets blasted out to everyone's phone, there's no mystery whatsoever. Even if it's a little mystery, they like it. So I think that same thing applies to the Jets at two, and it applies to the 49ers at three. And everyone's playing along to make the draft a bigger deal. A little bit of mystery, even if there's not going to be any surprise. Lawrence, Wilson, and Jones, maybe not. Maybe they're not going to come out and say it. They don't have to. No, they don't have to, and they probably shouldn't. You know, it's better for us maybe if they don't do it, you know, and then the people are going to figure out on draft night, oh, wow, like they actually drafted Mac Jones, or oh, wow, they finally drafted Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, and then they come to pro football talk and they read our articles about it. So I guess it is, you know, sometimes better for us, right? Yeah, hey, that's the way it goes. We want to have that mystery drawn out as long as possible, but we also want to be transparent with the audience because, I mean, I, 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 yeah. th th this is where it gets a little bit dicey because th there have been mm -hmm. some tweets recently that were deleted by folks who work for The Shield because maybe those tweets were a little too close to the mark of letting everyone know exactly what's going to happen. This gets into the whole don't tip the picks. That's just not on draft night. That works ahead of time as well they don't want any certainty out there they don't want any clarity they want there to be just enough equivocation so we tune in because you never know what's going to happen you never know who's going to have a video posted onto their social media account by a hacker with someone in a gas mask bong right i mean anything can happen the craziest stuff you can imagine can still happen all right um, Mac Jones recently addressed the possibility of playing for the 49ers, specifically the 49ers offense. Here's Jones on San Francisco. I've watched their tape and stuff. I've, I've got a chance to watch a lot of, um, you know, everybody, but 49ers specifically, obviously they run a lot of wide zone. They also have a great fullback so they can run power and they do a bunch of good play pass off of that. So outside zone, sprint out stuff. Um, you know, obviously their drop back passing game is really similar to what we did with Sark. Um, and, you know, some of their motions that they use, I noticed they got the, the boomerang motions and the cap motions across the ball fast. So that's all stuff that I'm really familiar with. Um, and obviously it's a super quarterback friendly offense and they have great playmakers there. Um, so I'm really looking forward to just learning more about that. Oh, and he will. Oh, he will. It's, it's just <laughs> he needs to be a little more coy. Than, uh, than the rest of them. And, and again, hey, look, tomorrow, who knows what happens at his pro day workout? number two, but Shanahan will be there. Lynch will be there. Check the box, right? This guy won the national championship. He knows how to perform under pressure. He'll have a little pressure tomorrow to perform with this presumption that he's going to be the pick of the San Francisco 49ers at number three overall. Number six overall quite possibly could be Devontae Smith to the Miami Dolphins, and the Dolphins, by trading down and trading back up, are still in position to probably get the guy they would have gotten at number three potentially anyway. Nick Saban, speaking about one of the issues relating to Devontae Smith, specifically his lack of size, here's Saban on that topic. 
I think his performance speaks for itself. Um, and I'll be honest with you, you know, when we recruited DeMonte Smith, he weighed 159 pounds, and I wished he was bigger. And now he weighs 170 pounds, and I think people at the next level are probably saying, I wish he was bigger. All right? But saying all that to say this, there are bigger people who don't perform anywhere near how he performs. Uh, there are people that are bigger than him that don't have the competitive spirit that he has, nor the competitive toughness. I mean, tell me how many receivers are tougher than he is that block better, uh, that play more physical than he does. So I think maybe there's a time when you say, this guy really overcomes the fact that he's not the biggest guy in the world and he really plays this game really, really well. Uh, and I don't think anybody could argue that fact. There's a certain irony with a head coach talking about the size of a player while clearly standing on some sort of a step stool while doing so. <laughs> not that there's anything oh, wrong with that. Mike. No, but Mike. no, no. Like I got an I got an instigator in my left ear. I got no pro. I don't care how <laughs> how tall or short anyone is. I really don't. I'm just pointing out the that irony of the situation. No, I don't. Well, yeah, that's true. That's right, because as you know, I will only fight with the people that I know I can beat up. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't go I wouldn't go around with Sabe and I have a feeling he fights dirty. I just think there's an irony to him talking about a guy's size or lack thereof while standing on a stool. That's all I'm saying. That nothing more. Uh anyway, I don't I don't care that Devontae Smith's 170 pounds. The guy can play. If you watched one drive of the national championship game, you know the guy can play. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think the more concerning thing is, is he going to go to an offense that can use him properly? Or is he going to go to some place that's going to stand around and say, well, you know, he's really fast, but he's not that big. And I don't know if our quarterback can throw it down the field to him or really should he be going over the middle or la la la. They've got to. I, I really just hope that Smith goes to a, the kind of team that is going to utilize him right, okay? Because I look at what happened to Henry Ruggs last year, and this could be playbook-driven, it could be Henry Ruggs-driven, it could be head coach-driven, I don't know. But when you have somebody who's that fast, who get, who is the first wide receiver taken off the board and then has the year that Henry Ruggs had, there was something wrong there that did not come into play uh, to make him as good as he should be, right? So I think that if as long as Smith goes to a place that knows how to use him, right, to an offensive coordinator and an offensive play designer who is going to use him in the creative ways that he should be utilized in, then he's going to be a great player in this league. But if he doesn't go to the right spot and he's not utilized in the right way, then people are probably going to keep bringing up, well, you know, he's only 170 pounds, so that probably has something to do with the fact that he's not been the same player in the league. No, I think it's going to be so much scheme-driven that determines his success, and I just hope that he goes to the right place. You're right. I remember when Desmond Howard came out of college in 1992 and all of a sudden instead of facing zone coverages he's got nfl caliber defense shut up you were in diapers uh and now i am it comes full circle but uh um but but he started facing guys at the line of scrimmage and they'd redirect him and he couldn't get off the jam and you know offenses have evolved since then it's on the offensive coordinator to move the guy around, to create opportunities, get him off the line of scrimmage, get him in the backfield, get him in motion, get him running at the snap so he can get away from that guy who's up at the line. Where do you think then? I mean, the Dolphins make the most sense right now. Uh, Miles, you know, we've got quarterback off one, two, and three. Would the, I mean, the Falcons have Julio Jones, but... I, you know, there's this weird dynamic in Atlanta where the old guard is clearly coming to an end and a new day is arriving. They've got Calvin Ridley. They've got Julio Jones. I would be surprised if they went Devontae Smith, but I can't rule it out at number four. I would also be surprised, especially because it seems like things out of Atlanta have started to suggest that they could draft their next quarterback after Matt Ryan at four overall, or then either that or trade back. But I think that... Smith would make sense. I mean, it's not like when you are drafting, you don't want the best player available based on what is going on there in Atlanta. And I think that Arthur Smith could be the kind of uh, head coach 
offensive mind, offensive play caller that would be able to utilize him in a really, really good way. So, yeah, I just could see him going there at four. I mean, five with the Bengals, it seems like Jamar Chase is going to be that guy. Although, if it's me, I would really think about going with Penny Sewell um, from Oregon just because if you set up that left tackle for Joe Burrow, boy, that could be a match made in heaven that really, you know, sets you on a good path offensively for another decade. So that might be where I would think. But then you get to six, and I mean, yeah, you could probably pair him with Tua Tagovailoa once again and then see how well that thing explodes. But I guess when you have two offensive coordinators, I mean, you know, it's like what they say about two uh, quarterbacks, right? If you have two quarterbacks, you have none. I don't know what happens if you have co-offensive coordinators in the league in 2021. That, that sort of scares me. And I wonder if the Dolphins would pass at six, what the Lions would do at seven. I mean, I don't see many 170-pound guys that bite kneecaps, but the Lions, uh, you know, they 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 made they made it an almost annual habit of drafting uh, receivers a decade ago when Matt Millen was there. There would be a certain amount of intrigue if they went with a 170-pound Heisman winner, but but this is a guy who can do a lot of things. And and look, the last top ten not very big receiver who came to the NFL Rams eight years ago, right? Tavon Austin. I mean, th- look, lack of size doesn't matter unless it does. If you can maneuver, if you can play, if you can get it done, it doesn't matter if you're 170, but Tavon Austin, I mean, you know, there's a ceiling for every great college player between what he did at college and the pro football hall of fame. And, for a lot of these guys, we don't find out where that ceiling is until they smash their head into it. And for Austin, there there were limits on what he could do at the NFL level, as the Rams find out the hard way, even after they 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 paid him a ridiculous extension. I don't know to justify the pick after the fact, but uh, look, there's always risk. And that's the one thing we need to remember, Miles, one month from the draft. We're going to hear great things about every one of these guys that gets picked. I think that's part of the contract you have to sign if you're going to cover the draft and say all these guys are great and all these guys are potential pro bowlers and all these guys are potential Hall of Famers. We know half of them are going to bust. We know it. But we don't talk about it ahead of time. Well, because we don't know. And and here's what I would say about Tavon Austin since I covered him up close for, uh, I think, four years um, there, both in St. Louis and then in Los Angeles. I think that he's exactly the good example of what I'm talking about, where if he is in that situation where you don't have the great offensive coordinator, I mean, they have Brian Schottenheimer, Frank Signetti, and then Rob Boris as offensive coordinators. Do you really know any of those names besides Brian Schottenheimer? No, you don't. And part of that is because those offenses were putrid. They were really, 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 really bad offenses. And then Sean McVay got there in 2017, and they started using Tavon Austin on that jet motion a little bit more, and that got him a little bit more involved in the offense. But by that time, they'd also upgraded the receiver position. So I just think that, like you know, you're saying, if you have that smaller guy, there is certainly a ceiling on him, and some of that has to do with talent. But I also just think if you have the right offensive coordinator who knows how to utilize that talent in the right way, then it doesn't necessarily matter what size you are because that size can sometimes be used as an advantage. So that if he's got the size, the speed, he's got the heart. And you know Nick Saban also is sort of doing a sell job because he's always recruiting, and that's part of his job as a college coach. He does an excellent job at that. But I just feel like this is a little bit of a different situation than you might have had with Tavon Austin, at least in the sense that now, with the benefit of hindsight, we know that the Rams probably were not the best spot for him to land. We're way over, but I got to tell you my Tavon Austin story because it ties back to the anything can happen until the guy's name is put on a draft card. 2013, day of the draft, we had a set outside Radio City Music Hall. It was great. It was awesome. I got pictures of it somewhere on my phone. We were interviewing some of the guys who were part of the draft process. So Tavon Austin shows up, and he's coming across 6th Avenue, and I wave from the other side of the street. Come on, we're over here. So he runs out into the street and almost gets hit by a cab. So that, that would have been bad. If the cabin actually <laughs> struck Tavon Austin and he would not have been the eighth overall pick in the 2013 draft and it would have been my fault for saying, yeah, come on, Tavon, over here. Uh, anyway, that's that's my only Tavon Austin story. He still did the interview anyway, even though I almost got him run over by a cab. Let's take a break. When we return, the latest with Deshaun Watson, the lawsuit's now up to 19 and an SI interview 
with another massage therapist who could eventually be represented by someone other than Tony Busby. More PFT PM right after this. Right, Deshaun Watson now facing 19 lawsuits. And one of the three lawsuits filed today alleges that he deleted Instagram messages and also has contacted some of the massage therapists directly in an effort to settle the cases. Now, it's unclear whether the allegation is that he has contacted massage therapists who sued or whether other ones who have yet sued. There's a subtle and it's a little too inside baseball from the legal profession standpoint reason as to why it's worse and it's more delicate to contact people who've already sued you because they're represented by counsel. Either way, it's been denied by Rusty Harden, Deshaun Watson's lawyer. The bottom line is, Miles, this thing is showing no indication, no sign, no evidence that it's going to go away quickly and cleanly. I've been advocating for days now that Deshaun Watson needs to have a mediation with all of these individuals in a room with a retired judge or an experienced lawyer who can give everyone something that feels like their day in court. Everyone can come out of this with some sort of satisfaction and Deshaun Watson can put this behind him. And again, when I say that, I'm not saying make it go away. I'm saying deal with it, resolve it in a mature responsible fashion instead of having it hang over your life and your career for the next two years or longer. Well, right. I think you're saying that he should use the processes that are available to him in order to take some sort of accountability, which I think is different than saying make it go away. I think that there is a large difference between those two different things. And I think you're right, Mike, because the more this continues, uh, the more allegations that continue to come out against him, the more that this is going to just continue to be a cloud that hangs over his head in not just his career, but also in his life. So at a certain point, I think you're right. He just has to be able to get this into some sort of mediation and some sort of process for Tim to take accountability and then for this to be able to uh, be so that he can be able to put this in its proper place in his life and then take accountability for what apparently are or allegedly are his actions. And here's the problem with that, because even though Tony Busby, who represents these 19 plaintiffs, says it's not about money. I mean, it is about money. He's being disingenuous when he claims it isn't. He's just trying to score points in the court of public opinion. However, If there's urgency from Watson to settle the case, that's a factor in determining what is a fair outcome. See, this is part of the problem of, from Watson's perspective, being painted into a corner by Tony Busby. Because if you want to resolve this quickly, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost more to resolve it now because it's in your interests to resolve it now so you can remove this cloud from your career so you can remove this distraction from your life you want it to go away that's part of what you're paying for that's part of the business transaction and i know it seems crass to have it all boil down to dollars and cents but that's how the civil justice system works that's why it offends me for busby to try to tell us it's not about money it's inherently about money That's the commodity that you use to resolve either through settlement or a judgment, a claim of this nature. That's it. That's the only way to resolve it. And the question becomes, what's the fair amount now for these 19 cases to ultimately be resolved so Deshaun Watson can get on with his life? By the way, we wrote something earlier today based on a Houston Chronicle item suggesting that or reporting that Deshaun Watson's sponsors have yet to abandon him, including Nike, Beats by Dre and Rolex. I wouldn't be so sure about Nike. Uh, There's reason to think that Nike may be thinking about ending its relationship with Deshaun Watson. I'm told, per sources. 
Well, if they, if they are, then again, there's certainly good reason for it based on what is out there, not just from these 19 lawsuits, but then also, as you mentioned uh, before we went to break, the, the Sports Illustrated article, RSI.com article that came out today. I mean, there's certainly some stuff in there that I would not be surprised uh, if it made Nike feel um, some sort of trepidation about working with him in the future. Yeah, I mean, look, it's all PR and this court has been tried extensively or this case rather. And these cases have been tried extensively in the court of public opinion. As to the allegation, Miles, that Deshaun Watson has been deleting Instagram messages and contacting massage therapists directly. Rusty Harden, his attorney, issued a statement shortly after reporters began to focus on those allegations in one of the three new lawsuits. Here's what Harden's statement had to say. Uh, And of course, my eyes are going to be hard pressed to read this. Um, And and I can see it now. Like I'm like I'm I'm like uh, at the uh, at the doctor doing the eye test. Like a lot of people, Deshaun regularly deletes past Instagram messages. That said, he has not deleted any messages since March 15, the day before the first lawsuit was filed. We categorically deny that he has reached out directly to his accusers in an attempt to settle these cases. The thing about deleting the Instagram messages as of March 15, the day before the first case was filed, he supposedly knew for a while that something was coming. So that invites speculation as to whether or not he may have deleted something relevant to any of these cases before the first one was filed at a time when he knew that something was happening. I'm more comfortable with the statement, if this had been the true statement, that he hasn't deleted anything since the day before he first became aware that anyone was claiming that he engaged in wrongdoing. Because that's the point where I think everything needs to freeze. And if anything is deleted, you got to wonder, number one, what was deleted? And of course, it can always be reconstructed. And number two, why did you delete it? Absolutely. And I believe the thing about Instagram messages, if even if he were to delete one of them, and I could be totally wrong, and I probably shouldn't be since I'm a millennial, but the other person might still have access to that message. So they can certainly be reconstructed, as you were just saying anyway. So I think when it is of that nature, and you say, you know, with before, the day before these things were first filed and they first came out publicly, then yes, that does raise a couple of eyebrows. And it should, because that it is. It goes to whether or not, you know, he was trying to cover something up before this became public knowledge. Another thing that that nags at a lot of people and gnaws at a lot of people and bothers a lot of people, including Rusty Harden, the reality that they still don't know who any of these people are. They're all proceeding under the pseudonym Jane Doe. And the report today from Jenny Rentis of SI.com has another unnamed massage therapist who was granted anonymity. Now, SI clearly vetting the person appropriately, coming to the conclusion that her allegations are are at least based on what she believes, not something that are being fabricated and they can trust her. But with 20 people and not a single one of them attaching a name to it, that at a certain point provides ammunition for people who just say something's not right here. Because when Antonio Brown was sued for sexual assault and rape, the name of the plaintiff, Brittany Taylor, attached to the lawsuit. When Ben Roethlisberger was sued for rape in 2009 in Nevada, the name of the plaintiff attached to the lawsuit. And I'm now at the point, Miles, and I really don't want to do this. I'm like Pacino and Godfather 3. Every time I'm out, they pull me back in. I'm going to have to research Texas law and see exactly what the procedural rules and requirements and standards are for filing suit under a John or Jane Doe pseudonym. Because there has to be, at some point, there has to be a standard. There has anybody because anybody could do it whenever they wanted to. If that was the case, you could keep all your business private and sue for anything under a John Doe or a Jane Doe pseudonym. And I'm not suggesting anyone's done anything wrong. With 20 people not attaching a name to this, at a certain point, especially with Deshaun Watson's lawyer complaining about it, it does invite curiosity as to whether or not there's any argument that Rusty Harden may make that these lawsuits aren't aren't sufficient because a name hasn't been supplied. Well, if you don't and, and if you don't have a name supplied, then it also makes it more difficult to then investigate it from Deshaun Watson's perspective, which I believe is the point that Rusty Harden has been making. So from that perspective, it's okay. How can we then say if you're, you're Rusty Harden, you're Deshaun Watson's lawyer, it's how can we properly investigate what this is and prove that there was no wrongdoing? Um, if we don't have all of the facts 
because they have not been properly presented to us because all of these things are being uh, presented under the name of a Jane Doe. So from that standpoint, you can sort of see where they're coming from. However, that doesn't mean that there was no wrongdoing in the first place. Correct. Correct. And and look, the, the rules permit it. I'm just curious now with with 19 lawsuits and another individual not attaching a name to it. I'm becoming curious as to what the standard is, because there's a chance that maybe some of these individuals meet it. Some don't. Maybe they all meet it. Maybe none of them do. That just feels like one of the angles that will be pushed on behalf of Deshaun Watson. So I want to try to get ahead of it and figure out exactly what it is. Let's take a break. When we return, we'll bust open the mailbag on this Monday edition of PFT Live or PFT PM. I do that every once in a while. PFT PM. We'll be right back. Let me give you your first question as an analyst. Who should be the starter at quarterback for the Saints? <laughs> you know what? Uh, it'll be interesting. Um, I think, however, that, you know, competition, um, is kind of laid out or, or plays out. Um, I think both those guys, you know, have some unique skill sets. Um, I'd say obviously Jameis and Taysom are different styles of quarterback. Um, and whatever offense is run, I think you, you know, just like you would do for any quarterback, you you make the adjustments within the framework of the offense to fit the skill set that you're dealing with, you know? See, and I so, would never let you get by if I was on Football Night in America with that answer. <laughs> well, I've got – I really like both those guys. I think they both have the ability to be really good NFL quarterbacks. And so then it's just a matter of, hey, they just happen to be in the same place right now, you know? Um, so we'll see how it plays out. But Taysom's proven he can win games. Um I think Jameis, you know, leaving Tampa, coming to us, spending a year in our system, I think he's developed a, a new level of confidence um, and ability to run our system. So it'll be interesting to see. Hey, look, this is just my fair analysis, and I am well known for saying what I believe. When you go into this business, and this is one of the hardest transitions for a player, you got to be willing to say things and you have to understand that you may get a phone call from Sean Payton and he may not be happy with why you said what you said but at a certain point and I understand that for now there may be some confidences that Drew Brees doesn't want to breach but it's there are going to be expectations that you say stuff Miles and he said a lot of things in that response but he ultimately didn't answer the question he filibustered better than most senators do Absolutely. All right, Dr. J144, I'm going to filibuster my way through this question from him. You're the best, Mike. Gee, thank you. Can we just stop it there? But the 49ers <laughs> traded away two first-round picks for the right to exchange 2021 first-round draft picks with Miami. We can both be stubborn thinking we're right about this. Hey, Dr. J144, I don't disagree with you. The 49ers did give two first-round picks for the right to exchange first-round picks with the Dolphins. Two first-round picks and a third-round pick. But at the end of the day, what the 49ers are doing, when they exercise the third overall pick in the draft it necessarily will mean that they have surrendered three first round picks and a third round pick for one player miles the fact that people will argue that point oh boy. is astounding to me that's all i'm gonna say unless you plan to argue that point then i'll have more to really? say well, I don't know. I'm, I'm astounded that that was all that you wanted to say about that, because it just feels like sometimes when these are the things that, you know, are brought up, they might set you off. Uh, listen, I, I feel like if we want to talk through the semantics, it doesn't really make a difference. Right. At the end of the day, the 49ers traded up in order to get the third overall pick in the draft. And you can also say that Miami, you know, they also traded a couple first round picks in this entire process that got them back uh, to number six overall and gave the Eagles a 12th overall pick too. So I, I don't really care what the semantics are. I think that, yes, they also, the, I think that San Francisco did trade three first round picks in order to get that third overall pick because the 12th overall pick is still a first round pick and they still traded it. So, I mean, I, I understand what Dr. J144 uh, is saying here, but I also don't really care that much about the semantics. 
Well, I care about the semantics for one important reason, because we've had so much conversation this offseason. No, no, Miles. Deshaun Watson, three first-round picks, starting point. Russell Wilson, three first-round picks, starting point. Bears offered three first-round picks. The 49ers are using three first-round picks and a third-round pick on a completely unproven quarterback. That's the point. With all this talk about three ones for Watson and Wilson, this is three ones for Mac Jones or whoever. And we don't know whether or not the guy can play. Look at the list of all the first-round quarterbacks taken in the Super Bowl era that we compiled last night. There are plenty of guys on that list who ultimately ended up being, to use a technical term, ass at the next level. <laughs> One more real quickly. What's more likely, Jimmy G a 49er for the entire 21 season or a 2021 trade deadline acquisition for a desperate team? And not a lot of choices there from Uncle Phil, but between the two miles, I'll say it's more likely that he's traded the trade deadline because that's the absolute ultimate final drop-dead deadline to get anything for Jimmy G. For sure. And like we said earlier in the show, I feel like he's not going to be a 49er by week one, and I think that you feel that way too. But if there is only these two choices, then yes, I would say at the deadline, there's probably going to be some team that's going to say, listen, yeah, we want Jimmy Garoppolo because we think he can be our quarterback of the future, where San Francisco has clearly made the decision that Jimmy Garoppolo is not their quarterback of the future. So at a certain point, it's like, all right, let me get something for him than nothing. And yes, Garoppolo is still under contract for another year, but I just feel like it would behoove the 49ers at that point to trade him. Behoove. I love the word behoove. On that note, we will end this segment and wrap up this Monday edition of PFT PM right after this. There's Earl Campbell. Vin Scully on the call, Isaiah Robinson with the helmet, Robertson with the helmet to the stomach. Tony Dungy tells a story that at some point after that, they played that film in the film room at the Steelers, and Miles Jack Lambert said to the person running the machine, never show that film again. We never want to see that again, because uh, we got to face this guy. Unbelievable talent. Two all-time great moments in one play. The helmet to the stomach and the jersey ripped off. Long before you were born, Miles. Way before I was born. But let me tell you, those two uniforms, man, those powder blues from the Houston Oilers and those classic uh, L.A. Rams uniforms, those were some sweet unis. We play that for two reasons. Number one, we got highlights back. And number two, Earl Campbell turned 66 today. Hall of Famer, one of the all-time greats. I used to love watching him play. And you'll see more highlights now that we have the ability to play them again. Enjoy your evening. See you tomorrow morning on PFT Live.